Welcome to the Radiant Astrology Podcast, where we illuminate the wisdom of the cosmos for spiritual insight and soul-level healing. I'm your host, Christina Caudill. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to the Radiant Astrology Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Caudill. And in today's episode, I have a very special guest. My guest is the astrologer and author, Colin Bedell. And Colin has just released a book called Queer Cosmos, which we will talk all about today. Um, I had such an amazing conversation with Colin, and it was actually pretty surprising for me. Um, I really just thought I would let him just kind of do his thing and speak about queer life, which I have to be honest, I'm not as familiar with. I'm not as like hip to what the young people are doing these days. Um, but actually, he spoke to me in a way that really um, just made my heart open so much more to what it means to just relate to other human beings. Um, and it really is a beautiful conversation. I love listening to Colin speak. I could just listen to him all day. Um, and we had such a fun conversation. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, first, just a couple of announcements. I'll leave this pretty quick, short and sweet, because I want to get to Colin's talk. Um, I am doing, I have already launched my 2020 Transformation Astrology Readings, and these are personalized readings for you on your astrology for the year ahead for 2020. Now, I'm about to close them. I think the last day to order is December 6th. I might extend it one more day to Saturday, December 7th, but I do want to get these out um, before the holidays. And the wait time right now is about, um, well, some people have waited up to like 10 days or 14 days, but um, since I'm about to wrap them up, I would say get your order in as soon as you can because that would um, cut down on your wait time. Um, but it could be up to 10 days. So you'll have to be patient because what these readings are, are they are a look on the landscape of 2020 using your natal chart, your transits, um, your perfections, your Lord of the year to basically get the themes of your year from an astrological perspective. Um, and, you know, I also ask you, what are some of the primary themes that you are concerned about right now? And we look at those as well. And, you know, sometimes what we want to focus on of the year, you know, the astrology kind of shows us what is happening, right? And so we can put those two things together and that can help us to navigate our year with a lot more clarity um, and in these readings, um, they're from an evolutionary astrology perspective. And so with evolutionary astrology, we believe that it's really the soul's intention is what we're here to follow. And sometimes that just means getting out of the way and listening to the soul's callings. Um, and so we can cover anything from your creativity to your resources, to your relationships, um, I have one caveat though, is I do not specialize in health astrology. So health is not really my forte. There's some things I can kind of see with health, um, but in, in general, I tell people that, you know, you should really go to a health astrologer if that is what you're concerned about. Um, but pretty much anything having to do with your purpose, your soul calling, um, you know, what is coming up for you? What does the universe have in store for you? Um, because in 2020, there's a lot of shifts taking place. Saturn is sort of dipping its toe for a few months into Aquarius, and that's going to be a huge shift. Um, Jupiter is in Capricorn for the year. You know, Jupiter has left expansive Sagittarius and is now in the work sign of Capricorn. You know, what does that mean for you? And we also have both Mars and Venus, the cosmic lovers, going retrograde. And that will be very interesting as well. Um, Mars, by the way, will be in his 
warrior sign of Aries for like half the year from the end of June to January 2021. That's a long time for Mars to be in Aries and then go retrograde during that time um, that we're going to need to navigate that, right? Because it already makes me feel burnt out just just thinking of Mars and Aries for that long. Um, And I'll probably talk more about that on the podcast coming up too. Now, um, also the lunar nodes, you know, as they do, they're shifting signs into Gemini and Sagittarius. Um, And what does that mean for you? You know, anyone with those mutable signs is going to feel that calling, that urgency of evolution. Um, So the link is in my show notes for the 2020 Transformation Readings. You can go to 2020transformationreadings.com and check out my readings offer. Um, Again, it is a... I offered it initially as a 30-minute audio reading. It's actually more of... 45 minutes or more usually depending on the person but now I'm saying it's about 45 minutes um, at least Um, you get a pdf report a booklet on the themes activated in your chart and the transits um, what they mean for you Um, and you know I say on my website it's a 10 page booklet it's actually been more like 15 to 20 for some people, depending. Um, So it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to take in. It's a deep dive and it's also a overview, right? Any of you who follow me on Instagram and you see my dailies, you see that each day the planets are doing their dance, right? Um, So this is going to just give you some of those turning points, the transformation points of the year. And I'm definitely including all of the eclipses, where they fall in your chart, how they activate your chart, because I feel that eclipses are the most transformative um, opportunities that we all have every single year. Um, and I'll offer a bonus Oracle card reading my absolute favorite deck, the mystical shaman Oracle by Colette Baron Reed. Um, it's so amazing how it just zeroes in right into your question, you know, and it gives you some amazing insight. Um, and then you also get a bonus, um, audio activating limitless creating and receiving. It is a guided audio meditation by my friend, Carolyn McKinley, who's an amazing alchemist and actually a psychotherapist as well in her day job. (laughs) But, um, she has alchemy of living and she has totally changed my life with a lot of her work. So this little bonus audio is my gift to you and you'll get it as soon as you order. And then you'll probably have to wait for, um, you know, a little while, a week or maybe two, depending on how many readings I need to get through. Um, And this is, again, this is just for those who really are serious about looking at navigating their year ahead in alignment with their special destiny that is seen in the astrology chart. And I just want to read one of my um, testimonials from one of my clients, Lyra Zabriskie of Wild Feminine Voice. She says, Dear Christina, I've been listening again to your recorded readings you did for me last year. They hold so much wisdom and insight, and it's been a pleasure to see how on track I've been with what you were describing. I remember at the time thinking, oh, I hope that's true, or I feel that, but I have no idea how it's going to work. And now I get to listen and see how it all unfolded. And there's even more to unfold. Thank you for the support you gave and continue to give through the work you did so many months ago. I reached out in a time of confusion and you gave me hope. Now I listen, being right in it, and it gives me encouragement. Um, I just love that. I mean, that makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? When you get those wonderful testimonials from satisfied clients. Um, And, you know, this is the thing. My work is for people who get it, you know, who are called to this work. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything, and I'm not trying to (laughs) try to fit in um, what I do for what people want. You know, this gives you what you need, not necessarily what you might always want. Um, I don't do specific predictions. This is not predictive oriented. It really just gives you 
what is happening, what are some of the major you know, timelines and turning events, and how you may be able to navigate it um, in the most aligned way. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to 2020transformationreadings.com. And I have a lot coming up for January 2020. So if you'd like to follow me, go check me out on Facebook at Radiant Astrology or sign up to my newsletter where you'll get all of my latest offerings emailed directly to you as well as my new moon and full moon starcasts. And you can visit me at radiantastrology.com to sign up there. All right. And now getting to my special guest, Colin Bedell. Um, I'll read a little bit of his bio so you can get a flavor for Colin. Colin is a gay Gemini twin from Long Island. His website, QueerCosmos.com, was founded to explore queer identities and issues through the lens of universal spiritual themes and astrology. In addition to being the weekly horoscope writer for Cosmopolitan.com, Colin is a monthly contributor to Astrology.com and the author of A Little Bit of Astrology, which is a great little stocking stuffer if you are looking for something to give to your loved ones. Um, It's called A Little Bit of Astrology, and it's this like tiny astrology book. It's so cute. He's currently serving as the vice president for the Long Island chapter of the astrological not-for-profit organization National Council for Geocosmetic Research. And, you know, he just came out with his latest book, Queer Cosmos, The Astrology of Queer Identities and Relationships. And in my talk with Colin, you know, I kind of was just fascinated. I wanted to hear what's all this queer cosmos stuff. And what he did was he took the Zodiac and he pretty much removed all of the polarizing language around astrology where, you know, Mars is masculine, male, and uh, Venus is just feminine and associated with women, and also even the moon just being associated with a mother. Um, Because we all have these archetypes alive within us and even more now where we're seeing that the patriarchy is no longer really the paradigm that we want to be living that also affects how we're being in the world you know how I think of myself as a woman how men think of themselves as men and you know what's possible for us I think it's time that we're done with all the shaming of masculine and feminine, right? I mean, that is just so last century or something Um, that it's time that men can feel safe to be feminine in some ways. If that means caring, if that means showing emotion, you know, if that means dressing up and looking pretty, I mean you know, they have these urges too. And with women, um, I've been told myself that I have um, a strong animus (laughs) that, you know, sometimes women need to actually go out there and kick some butt, you know, and that shouldn't be that we're acting like men, that we're actually just engaging with our own ability to be self-advocates for our lives. So it's a lot to consider. And what I love about Colin's work in general is he comes to astrology um, as a tool for healing and personal insight. Um, And he's taken from some of his um, real mentors, such as Esther Perel, Brene Brown, um, a Dr. Harville Hendricks, and uses the best of their teachings to then have um, a more clearer lens about what the lessons of astrology can teach us for living our lives, for living our most empowered lives. Um, So his book is Queer Cosmos, The Astrology of Queer Identities and Relationships, and it just came out. Um, And for those of you who listen to this podcast, I have a special offer. So listen to the end and how you can win a copy of Queer Cosmos. 
Um, so let me just read a little bit about Queer Cosmos. It's a contemporary, fresh look into astrology, personal insight, and relationships for the LGBTQ plus community. Now, and I would actually insert that I found it very insightful as well. Um, so for straight people too, why not? Um, and it, it could give you some insight in your loved ones who may be LGBTQ as well. Um, drawing on research from experts in the field like Dr. Harville Hendricks, Brene Brown, and Esther Perel, Bedell goes deep to provide practical relational theory that can empower readers to find successful and healthy relationships. Astrologer Colin Bedell has also brought together 15 years of research, client interviews, and astrological mastery to create a spiritual guide for not only resistance and resilience, but also personal insights and relationship compatibility as well. Unpacking complex issues like shame and worthiness, Queer Cosmos explores astrology as an antidote to feelings of hopelessness and provides a language of authentic practices of self-expression, leaving behind gender normative pronouns and assumptions. Queer Cosmos explores the more nuanced patterns of the archaeological of the astrological archetypal energies expressed in queer experiences. All right, my dears, um, I hope you enjoy my talk with Queer Cosmos Colin Bedell as much as I did. And again, listen to the end for how you can win a copy of Queer Cosmos. Enjoy. I'm so grateful to have you here, Colin. Thank you so much for being my guest. And tell us about your new book, Queer Cosmos. Yes. And before I do that, I just want to say thank you because your contributions to the world of astrology, Christina, are just absolutely legendary. And you are a prolific speaker. You're such a gifted evolutionary astrologer. And the contributions that you make for us and our systems are deeply appreciated. So I just wanted to acknowledge everything you do for our school of thought and the work that you extend to so many of us. And I'm just deeply grateful for that. So thank you. Well, thank you, Colin. You know, that means so much to hear. And uh, you know that as a triple Capricorn being called legendary, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. No, <laughs> so. it's true. And you are, you are legendary. It's, it's oh. amazing to sort of see from a pattern view, like which astrologers resonate with others. And I'm amazed by how many people are celebrating your work and it's just moved by your theories on eclipses and your horoscopes are so thoughtfully written and it's just so informative and uh, your reach is amazing. And we're all so thankful. So thank you. Well, thank you. And, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on is not only, you know, do I need to learn about um, this queer identification, which I think a lot in my generation, you know, either, you know, there's people in my generation, you know, from, like I said, Gen X born in the 70s, um, who, you know, maybe there's people struggling with it themselves or um, have children or have right. family that are right. struggling with it, um, or it's emerging in their lives and they need to sort of get on the page. But right. even beyond that, we connected over, like you are, a, I would consider master level of A Course in Miracles. And uh -huh. ACIM is, I mean, it's not just like a, a theory, but you, you really need to live it and embody it to get the most of it. And I love seeing you um, infuse that in your work with astrology because astrology at its best, you know, isn't just a form of predicting the next disaster or predicting the next event in your life, but it really is a way to understand yourself deeper and have more compassion for yourself and compassion for your, you know, the human, humankind. So um, I just, can you talk a little bit about your work with ACIM and how that informs you as an astrologer? Oh, absolutely. And thank you for saying that. Yeah, I've uh, completed the workbook of A Course in Miracles three times so far. And every day I get to access the principles more deeply. And I found it because uh, I was going through my second Jupiter return. So for the astrology enthusiasts, it's when Jupiter makes a second return to its exact conjunction of the natal chart. When I was uh, 23 years old, Jupiter was conjunct uh, my 14 degrees Gemini. 
and I just went through a really difficult breakup, a certain career that I was really passionate about, I realized was not fulfilling me in a particular way. And I just sort of realized that I was essentially getting evacuated off of the premises of my own life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Jupiter Returns can do for us. And we get them 11 and a half years, every 11 and a half years. And I, I actually remember praying for the first time in my God, maybe from then almost 12 or 13 years. And I said, listen, I really need help. I can't do this. I, I was waiting for a bottle of z to kick in because I just couldn't sleep. And the subconscious mind is amazing. It keeps you up if you have work you need to do. And then the next thing I know, Christina, I'm watching a woman named Marianne Williamson on Oprah's Mm -hmm. Super Soul Sunday. And I know you're familiar and uh, an enthusiast of her work. And she was preaching about the principles of forgiveness in this book called The Course in Miracles. And it was like this healing bomb just completely overtook me. And I said, this is the answered prayer. And then I bought a return to love the next week. Swan dove into Marianne's. That's she wrote that book. Uh, Swan, Swan dove. dove. I, I can did. see that. That's perfect. Like, boom! <laughs> right. This is exactly what I needed. And then I had that intellectual framework. Thank God. And then I picked up uh, the Course in Miracles a year later, and I studied the the the, uh, the text, the workbook, and the manual for teachers uh, for almost seven years now. So I'm in a sadder number wow. with this, and especially. Wow. And its opposition to when it started. And it's helped me in astrology because I think that the, you know, the Course of Miracles says all the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special, right? And so what I think astrologers do accidentally in an effort to really increase the credence and specificity of the archetype is they get real precious about their own astrology. They get real like, oh, I'm the only one. And it's like, no, actually, a we all have these things and we all have all signs in our chart and we're more alike than we are different. And that kind of universal application that the Course in Miracles helped me understand really, really, really gave me the value too to speak on the fact that no zodiac sign has a monopoly on merit. Mm-hmm. And each one is meant to be built on the other. Each one stands for something essential. And the Course in Miracles says that heaven is a perfect awareness of our oneness. And I think that the zodiac wheel is that representation of our oneness. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can really use astrology to think less about me and more about we in relationship to the accord of the universe as it is, I think that we could unleash significant power in the conversation and our practices. Oh, yeah. I believe you. Just hearing you say that, I believe it. That's right. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, astrology is supposed to help expand the experience of life, not just narrow it down. And I think, and just even hearing you speak about A Course in Miracles, and I always get this sense of expansion, you know, this uplifting, this... Um, this sort of view toward a greater horizon. And, you know, very Gemini, I mean, very uh, Jupiterian in one sense. And I really feel like, you know, again, the way that you use them both, not that um, they're the same thing because they are both their own um, way of perceiving the world, but um, they, they can be complementary. Um, and I think now we're coming into a second golden age, you know, or maybe there have been multiple golden ages of astrology, but it's been in the dark for so long. And now this is a time of bringing it into the light. But, you know, it needs to evolve with um, how we're constantly evolving. Like we were speaking before, you know, things are changing so much with technology, with um, our ability to be honest about ourselves of who we are. And astrology um, can really reflect that. It's meant to reflect our experience of life on earth. And I just love how you sort of bring that to the fore oh, in your teaching. You. Yeah. And so are you as an, as an evolutionary astrologer too. Yeah, that's what you're trying to do is like evolve. We got to keep it moving. We got to advance, right? We need to put these theories in practice with what the leading empiricists and other theologians or researchers and personal growth specialists are saying right now, because at their peak, we should all be saying the same thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. the Course in Miracles says this, and I love it, is that a universal theology is not necessary, but a universal experience is. Wow. Can you repeat that one more time? A universal theology is not necessary, but a universal experience is. Mm. And that what's that experience? The practice of love given and received, 
right? And at its core, astrology could help us do that. Uh, there are other metaphysical and spiritual systems that are all trying to teach us what love, forgiveness, compassion, atonement, and forgiveness look like. And I think that when we see them as complementary tools in our problem-solving repertoire, another Course of Miracles tenet, then we just really start to align our lives with more peace and gentleness and tolerance and understanding. And it just works. It just works. And, and we're speaking to uh, the Capricorn uh, energies in our charts is that, you know, this is in the text too, is that the Course says you could treat these ideas like toys and so they will be for you. Or you could treat them like the laws that operate the universe and so it will be for you as well. Wow. Oh, I love that. That is so, and that's so important now with astrology being, you know, some do treat it like entertainment um, and a distraction, but I really feel like, and for some that's their entry into it. It's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, like a little, a little horoscope, a little bite sized piece. And then, you know, it's like the gateway drug, (laughs) you know, and then next thing they know, and they realize maybe they have a uh, an experience where they're brought to their knees and then they just don't know where to go. And they think, you know, I, I heard something that, that touched me at one point and it, maybe that came through astrology and then they can see the power that astrology can potentially have, but you have to be ready. It's these moments of grace that, you know, we can't force and we can't predict but when they're there and if we have something like astrology to catch us, then um, we can really go deep with it. So, uh, Absolutely. And I love that your Scorpio moon is like, let's go deep, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's go it, deep. It, let's go deep because it really can. And I think that given the uptick in that mainstream consumption of astrological mediation and information, we have a real high responsibility to make sure that we're contributing real quality and meaning and depth into this listening that we have on our industry like never before. And that's why I did write Queer Cosmos because it was very evident to me that the vast majority of mediation and information out there just happened to be very heteronormative, which is just any kind of writing or research that's done on the binary of male or female and assuming everyone is heterosexual. And you can see that in the vast majority of literature that really kind of predated the early 90s. And so when we use the word queering and queer cosmos, what we're essentially trying to do is really question the shared assumptions and the pre-existing notions of sex, sexuality, and gender, and the binary of male-female, the binary of good or bad compatibility, and really just set ourselves free from this real minor, uh, simplistic, and reductive analysis of both individuality and also of the relational experience. Uh, And so, because we had also said that we wanted just a quick rundown of queer theory, that's essentially what it is, is just making sure that we investigate disciplines, conversations, and literature and resources out there to really ask ourselves, is this applicable to all? Um, does a, a, a Venus and Aries person, are they necessarily at detriment just because Venus is in a considered masculine sign? Is that really true? Mm. Right? Can we look at that in the experience? My Venus in Scorpio does not like to be called... Um, in detriment because <laughs> okay yeah take it away go ahead no 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 yep no finish that I'd love to know go ahead oh no I'm just saying yeah I have Venus in Scorpio too and and I mean and you know Venus is in exaltation in Pisces but that is that can be problematic too I see a lot right. of Venus and Pisces to me you know some of the the main things are like yearning or right. you know love or the desire for love can um, can overtake one and we can be distorted in these desires around, you know, anything that we desire, escapism or fantasy. Um, and that can be kind of problematic. And, you know, I'm Venus in Scorpio. And to me, you know, the depth of Scorpio, you know, I mean, my Venus just loves that. I mean, it can also be... Um, you know, a nightmare at times, but uh, it's, you know, that's the quality of Venus. But, uh, you know, I do think it helps to be rooted into, you know, like you and I, you know, we both have our Capricorn signatures. We want to respect the past, you know, we want to know what the rules are, but then keep them in the right context. Um, Yes. If I could share a little bit about Jupiter, that I was just in a, you know, someone online today had said, oh, Jupiter's a malefic. And I was like, well, in 
traditional astrology, Jupiter is the greater benefic, and it's oftentimes associated with, you know, expansion, and that expansion can either be good or bad. And I think in, um, I think it's Vedic astrology, Jupiter can be seen as a malefic. Um, and it's worth understanding where they're coming from with this tradition. But ultimately, like your story about having your Jupiter return and uh, really having that come to Jesus moment that, you know, yeah, that it wasn't just like being, you know, like sucked up to heaven. I mean, you you were struggling um, before that, before you were, you access something within yourself to that then be transformed into an awakening experience. But it may and might not have if you hadn't um, followed that thread of awakening that, you know, that you, I guess, put your faith into, it sounds like. Yeah. And I'm, and I love that you brought up like Jupiter as a malefic because when I speak to, because I'm in my Saturn return right now, well, I technically, I feel like I just completed it because it made its exact conjunction. Uh, and I had the best time. <laughs> Right, so that interesting. <laughs> Jupiter return handed me my, you know what, and then wow. uh, my Saturn return was just like, here you go. Let's certify. Let's validate. Let's legitimize. Let's give you a foundation. Let's really make sure that you know what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's fascinating to think about how that's not in typical conversation. And it made me think about how, and this is of course a miracles principle. So I'm glad that we're talking about this. Is that we don't always perceive our own best interests. And I find that Jupiter is a malefic. If you need to be woken the F up from the fact that you are not managing your life well, right? And that's what happened to me in my Jupiter return. It was like like they say in AA, your best thinking got you here. My best thinking got me in a place where my career was not happy, my relationship was failing, and I wasn't doing well in school. So clearly something needed to give. And then Jupiter, like that boom, lightning bolt from the sky was like, wake up, Colin, and learn this instead. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that because it, I don't think that planets are fundamentally, and this is where we queer things, I don't think planets are fundamentally good or bad. I think right. that we as human beings are masters of our own self-sabotage. And the planets, when they transit our chart, sort of wake us up to the fact that nobody hates us more than we hate ourselves. And we find a lot of different ways to self-implode. But if we're willing to learn other systems of emotion regulation and personal management and discipline and integrity, these energies have no choice but to validate and support our success. Hmm. I don't know if I'm simplistic about it, but that's the way I look at it. I yeah. think that's I think that's beautiful. And um, you know, I'm looking right now at your uh, your book, Queer Cosmos: The Astrology of Queer Identity. Identities and relationships, right? So, which is great because, um, gosh, it's so important not only to have a you know relationship with another, but the relationship we have with ourselves. And when we look at you know, it it comes down to I think in traditional astrology or just even in regular modern astrology, even you know, Venus is is you know the feminine and meant to attract and mars is the masculine and gets you what you want but it's even more than that i mean i think i was reading something about liz green wrote um about uh venus that you know she's like um you know she's like the harlot as well as she is you know the innocent you know like one that wants you to come to her i mean she especially if she's an aries i mean she's going to go for what she wants and that is just venus that's right and and we all have that i think it's amazing to see um so many i love seeing so many men first of all um you know that i engage with um a lot of them online or just in my own life that seem to really like they're in touch with their feminine side. They're in touch with this masculine side, but um, they're breaking away from what has been imposed upon them. That's right. Um, And so when I, yeah, when I think of looking at astrology in just, you know, the patriarchal view, I can imagine that's so incredibly, not only limiting, but just stifling. If, If this is supposed to be the map to our soul, I wouldn't want it to be stifled to not, you know, express who I am. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about how um, how this view of queer astrology can, I think it can, sounds like it can be very liberating. Yes, and not just for those who are queer identified, right? I, I tried to really make sure that regardless of sex, sexuality, or gender, you could feel yourself reflected uh, in the pages, though it was tailored to a queer reader. 
because related to the sign of self and like the idea of self, I'm coming to understand through my spiritual practice that identity is a relational experience. And we really need to find both what our limits are for ourselves and our deepest relationships to others, because that's really the determiner of when we don't know ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So what I tried to do in this book was speak on shame for queer people, because shame is the biggest barrier between ourselves and belonging. And shame, according to the research of Dr. Brene Brown, uh, is really the belief that because of something I am, so it's fundamental to my nature, my character, I am therefore irrefutably unworthy of love and belonging. And shame reflects itself very differently in everybody. We all have it. It's a universal emotion. We feel it for different reasons, right? Related to sex, sexuality, gender, theology, uh, physical mobility, race. There's a lot of different things that we can feel shame about. And so what I tried to do in this book was just give tools and language for the average reader to understand that when I'm in shame, this is what I feel because of my sexuality, because I kept a secret for however long I was in the closet. I mean, there, there still hasn't even been significant research from psychologists done for just what it means for queer people to hold this secret inside for years. Mm. I mean, I had to think about the fact that I was essentially lying for 17 years of my life. We don't even think, well, damn, did that do anything to me when I was nine or 10 years old, right? There's so much. And so I wanted the book to really give an intellectual basis of what shame is, what it means for queer people, what astrology could be used successfully for as a tool as shame resilience, because Mm -hmm. shame cannot be engineered out of our life. As long as we are living creative and connected lives, we're going to experience shame, but we can experience tools for its resilience. And so I spoke on what our moon signs can do to provide resilience for us, how our Mercury signs allow us to speak our shame because shame cannot survive being spoken, right? It survives in silence, secrecy, and judgment. And so I just wanted the reader to know, oh, this is the monster that's been chasing me. This is the part of my chart that can help me really unleash my power and my resilience and my divinity to accomplish it. And then because identity is a relational experience, How do I understand self-love because I am loved by others? Mm. What is the basis that I have of self-love other than the fact that I am loved and loving towards others? So the second half of the book really just tries to distill the key points of a lot of the leading experts in the relational sciences, like Drs. John and Julie Gottman, Harville Hendricks, and his wife, Helen Kelly Hunt. Uh, I, I did put Marianne Williamson's uh, key points on A Course in Miracles and relationship theory there. I spoke about Esther Perel. And just, Esther Perel. Oh, oh, she is the one. Oh, my God. I mean, she is what I think is so amazing about her work. I mean, she talks about, you know, like you said, shame, you know, survives or cannot thrive when it's been spoken. Right. And she goes there. I mean, yes. she talks, talks about... Um, it's almost like we're all doomed if we expect one person to validate everything about us in our lives, basically. Yes. yes. You know, and that we do it over and over and over again. And and a lot of it, you know, it's not our fault. I mean, we we used to have societies where we engaged with a lot more people and you know, we had communities and yes. communities help marriages to, you know, stick together when they have difficult times. And now everybody just wants their privacy, you know, we want our isolation and that is just and it's it puts too much pressure on that the other individual and I can imagine you know if we're trying to um, transform this entire paradigm of just this duality that's right that that needs to be opened up as well that this one other person can't possibly hold everything for you Yes. And that's actually been something that queer people have known and practiced in our culture really since recorded history, since we can find it, right? Because we have, it's really been the queer ancestors and the queer contemporaries right now have even just introduced the concept of like open relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And hey, it works for some, doesn't work for all because monogamy, if that is your relationship configuration, you know, wonderful. And we also want to have the historical narrative to say that this was often just an economic imposition towards women. So why do we just believe that this is the only way for us to sexually connect? 
Mm. Right. So there's just that's a queer concept. And Esther Perel, as I understand, identifies as a heterosexual woman, but she's queering these notions of relationship to set ourselves free because you're right. We are very much in this individualistic, you know, self-inflated notion of experience of identity, right? And so what that that means is we're then lacking the ability to then negotiate relationship theory, relationship norms, and relationship conditions because it's been all about us this whole time, you know? Mm -hmm. Happiness is this God-given right that we feel absolutely entitled to. And so if other people don't know how to do that, we're just out. And we don't know how to negotiate anymore. We don't know how to have these conversations. And I actually think that spiritual seekers like us, we could really be major problem solvers there because before World War II, the soulmate meant God. The soulmate mm-hmm. never meant another human being. And now because of the obviously appropriate kind of abdication of theology and religion's role in kind of helping people find ethics and morality and meaning and transcendence and continuity, now we're in this free-floating spiritual existential unknown, right? And we make one imperfect human being the sole center of our religious divinity and transcendence, right? Romantic relationships as religion. This cannot be. And if we as leaders in the field are not speaking on that, we're doing a great disservice to this moment because not only do the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our life, that's the the notion of Esther's teachings, but this is also a public health crisis because loneliness is the number one public health concern in the United States right now. Wow, yeah. Right? And it has more uh, health damages than excessive alcohol consumption and it creates cognitive and cardiovascular decline. We're a social species. So if we're not connected, we're going to degenerate. And go ahead, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I hear a lot of women speak about soulmates and twin flames and twin souls and this, you know, exalted spiritual experience. But what they're really saying is, I'm looking for my Prince Charming. You yes, know, oh, we're going to be... <laughs> I know, I was recording being like, okay, you got to look at that. Yeah, and girl, lay down that hammer. Go ahead, don't let me I stop. Mean, yeah, and, and they're ultimately thinking happily ever after. And, you know, fairy tales, you know, they're, they're Jungian, from a Jungian standpoint, they're archetypal. And so there's something archetypal alive in us that's reflected in these things like fairy tales. But originally, fairy tales, you know, were meant to help us see, you know, the extremes of life and and reflect sort of these extreme desires and maybe even distorted fantasies and desires within us. They they aren't meant to mimic reality. No, bingo, bingo. And I always think, too, I feel like you'll appreciate this as a Capricorn sun. My Capricorn moon told me immediately, Colin, if there's a perfect person out there, is he really looking for you? <laughs> like, come on, get over yourself, you know? And I had that come to Jesus moment too. And I was like, wow, here I was enrolling in this one special relationship notion too. And I think why it's spiritually dangerous is it denies, and this is once again a queer conversation because our community is really amazing in making intimate relationships asexual. Because intimacy, according to the framework of Esther Perel, is just into me, you see. So you can have intimate relationships mm-hmm. with friends, with family, with coworkers, right? Given the confines of obviously appropriateness, right? But I think what queer people have done is the concept of chosen family so beautifully in so far as they get their emotional and romantic, perhaps mental and sexual needs met from a lot of people at once. Yeah. So oh, we then, need that. We so need that. Right, right. And so we don't take, you know, this this emotional bank account that's like totally in the red and then just sort of ask somebody who's not responsible for the fact that it's in the red to like make all these emotional deposits. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not on them, right? That's on you. And from that spiritual perspective, if we're all special, none of us are special. There's only one of us here. We are each other, right? That's the foundation of this then when we deny just sacred relationship with the barista, the person sitting next to us in the subway, the person stuck in traffic with us, coworkers, family, friends, this and that, we're denying ourselves from that loving relationship. And thus we're so desperate and hungry to then receive it from this one special person that we blow it. Whereas if we were full all day, because I went deep with Christina, I went deep with two clients, 
I went deep with the waitress. I went deep with the person who I sat with on the A train. Then by the time I go on this date with a handsome boy, I'm overflowing. And he's going to find that attractive. And I'm going to find his finding it attractive, attractive. And then we play, right? So we have to remember that, like, when we kind of go, oh, excuse me, I'm waiting for my one special person, then we're really just telling the person in front of you, you're not enough. And that's really dis- dis- disrespectful. And back to the Course of Miracles principles, and then I'll get off my friggin' soapbox. You know, the primary proviso of the ego's dictate in love is seek but never find. So if you're constantly seeking, good luck finding, right? Mm. Yeah, sorry for that, but... No, I I love it. I I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, (laughs) And just, you know, who identifies as queer? So is queer a huge umbrella, I imagine, and gay people are in that, and then... Yes. Um, it's essentially the LGBTQIA plus alphabet soup, <laughs> right? So it's everybody who identifies there. And the reason why I just chose to call it Queer Cosmos was because I didn't want to make it special for gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgender. I understand that it's not a monolith. I understand that everybody speaks from their personal experience. I totally understand that. But I think that we are reclaiming the notion of queer because, and back to astrology, like, We all have Venus, we all have Mars, we all have the moon, we all have Uranus. So we all have these energies integrated into wholeness, Mm -hmm. right? So that's, and that's what queer allows us to do is to sort of say, hmm, why don't I stand on moon and Venus? Is it because I was assigned male at birth? So thus I have to be in my Mars and in my sun? Huh, Mm -hmm. right? So just things to think about, right? And queer gives us the space to integrate all parts of ourselves to wholeness and completion. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking this year we've had the North Node transiting cancer, right? And so there is something about the collective evolution um, and in terms of the archetype of the nurturer, the caregiver, you know, which we tend to, to represent with the mother. But we've also seen, again, this archetype arising in you know, males and just throughout the collective, the need for the need for belonging, yes. you know, which everyone has. Um, and I'm interested to see as the North Node transits Gemini, you know, which will mean the South Node in Sagittarius over this next year. Um, and, you know, that Gemini archetype is more, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like, not gender gender non-conforming yeah i would Nancy. think right you're doing great you're doing great and <laughs> I, I want your capricorn your double capricorn energy to know you can't get it right all the time so you don't have to be perfect you're doing great yeah you're, shit <laughs> hard, you're doing great yeah um and so you know maybe there'll be more for us to relate to in terms of you know relating to one another through the mind we're like of like mind but also you know the mind is pliable right i mean if we're open if we're open-minded we could potentially you know expand our understanding of the world but that first comes through connection and conversation and being open to these kinds of conversations and uh, i mean just in this one conversation you have really opened my mind and opened my heart to just this whole idea of queer because again in my generation generation it meant one thing um and i and you know we can feel that there's something else emerging but until we have these actual conversations um we really don't know where we're at with it and it feels like queer encompasses us all really it doesn't really feel because i'd asked you before you know who do you consult with is it just you know queer people or gay people and you said that actually everyone like and and hearing you talk about this book it sounds like it's really open to everyone because we're all we're all searching for love and that's not going to come from outside if it doesn't come from within first yes 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 christina and more on that too because you mentioned the brain the brain is a unisex organ And I learned so much about the kind of unfounded information related to testosterone and estrogen from my uh, friend's book called uh, For the Love of Men, A Vision for Mindful Masculinity. Her name is Liz Plank, and she's a very successful broadcast journalist with Vox Media. And she did phenomenal research into just the fact that 
male, male and female and those non-conforming, so human beings, we're just more connected than we know. We're actually more alike than we realize, right? And then related to trying to make this accessible for everybody, I think what got us into the 2016 mess is us believing that we are special, precious, impossible to understand, self-segregated, self-centered people that no one could even ask us questions. No one could even reach across the aisle. And look, look how that worked out for us, right? So I think you're absolutely right. We are each other. And I don't think there's anything productive or healing around us assuming, oh, well, they're this and I, I couldn't possibly ask them questions or I couldn't possibly be understood. That's just a patent lie. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Scorpio Moon? Um, no, I think you're absolutely, no, I'm just taking it all in. I think you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, the more, I think we are to the point where we kind of almost don't have a choice. Yeah, right. But to get, I mean, how many people, I mean, believe me, you know, with all this Capricorn, I can be great at, and Scorpio, I can be great at cutting people out of my life. Okay, dead to me, move on. But, you know, (laughs) but there's only so much you can do. It gets to a point where, you know, it like we could have a great conversation with someone and then at some point they have a belief that if we don't immediately understand it and we immediately make them our enemy, then, you know, that that's another relationship lost. And I think it's been getting to a point, especially this year, we had that Jupiter-Neptune square, which was a lot more <laughs> intense than I was even expecting. And, you know, it showed us how beliefs... Um, we tend to, again, make ourselves precious around them and they can be important, but we have to, we have to open our minds in order to understand our other, other human beings because we are each other and we need each other in order to have, you know, this experience of humanity. Uh, Um, Yeah. And so I'm looking at your book, the table of contents, and you go through all of the, you know, the Zodiac, right? And so, and the titles, you know, they sound very similar to the archetypes that I know them of, Um, except for, you know, the Cancer, you have the moon child instead of the mother. So that um, speaks to, you know, a more of a gender neutral, I guess, right? Or or maybe even all inclusive gender. Um, And so you've basically taken each archetype and like you said, removed maybe more of those, uh, the duality, the sort of patriarchal labels on them. That's right. And to the best of my capability, just really experienced this energy beyond sex, sexuality, and gender and provided the reader with the license to go, oh, so I can express this too, right? So say, for example, there is a gay uh, male who is a cancer son if he feels drawn to express more of that maternal compassion and energy, let this chapter invite you to do so, right? And if there is perhaps a queer Capricorn woman, let the chapter known as the captain inspire you to express the best of your leadership capabilities and your dynamic action, right? Because, and, the, and why, why are Capricorns called cold? You know, and you you want to question that and you want to say, hmm, is it because maybe they don't look as warm and fuzzy as like Cancer and Libra? Why do we assume that these are true, like warmth, generosity, these are true to gender, these are true to sexuality? It's just, it never made sense to me. And that's why I tried to make sure that the articulations of the natal aspects from the ascendant down to the outer planets spoke to the merit and the value of each and one of these energies beyond just like reductive pathologies. Right. Do you agree? Do you see that? Yeah, I'm seeing that as, you know, again, when I first, you know, my assumption when I heard queer cosmos was I, there's something in me that maybe, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but now I'm thinking that subconsciously I might've thought, oh, you're like reinterpreting, you know, the Zodiac for queer people. But now I'm looking at it as it just feels more inviting and it feels, uh, and just, you know, if I can say more modern, something that like really makes sense because it doesn't matter, you know, what your generation, we have all been somehow ingrained in these patriarchal views and we all suffer from them. 
Absolutely. And, and I think it's beautiful, once again, to remind ourselves that, okay, if one identifies as heterosexual, but another one is a completely queer person, we can still acknowledge, wow, like we're all swimming this river and we're all been affected by it. And we, we all have a stake in the game because, yeah, I think back to the original point when you had said, what does A Course in Miracles do for your astrology practice? It just really helps us understand that we're not these precious, rarefied, impossibly ambiguous personality tropes. And we've actually seen that a lot with Esther Perel's work. Obviously, we're both big fans, but she got a lot of pushback for having a conference that explored masculinity. She got a lot of pushback by that, that men could speak for themselves in a moment of post me too, post times up. They were like, who do you think you are? She's like, I'll tell you who I think I am. We've had conversation about reviewing femininity since 1969. Have men had five seconds of that? Mm -hmm. No. And that's why Trump got the keys to the White House. So maybe we could have a space now where women listen as much as men listen as well. And we renegotiate what this means for all of us because the lives of women will not change if men don't come along. So there's just a lot of that collaboration going on. And I love that you mentioned the North Node shifting into Gemini because that energy and hello, oh my God, Saturn in Aquarius, Jupiter moving into Aquarius by the end of next year. We're going to see that push too towards sacred collaboration, shared humanity. Oh my God. Right. Mm -hmm. And just like you're saying, we're all just looking for love and belonging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, these safe spaces where women come together. I mean, it's natural for women to come together. And as you know, that I've been hosting uh, women's eclipse circles for several years now. And um, but the past couple of years, especially this past year with this whole nodal um, shift of Cancer Capricorn, I had men wanting to come in That's my group. And I, I even had one who like, you know, changed his name and like, and snuck in. And and not I had women and I had one woman going, no, I know that's a man. Right. And, you know, he didn't identify as a woman, you know, he wasn't like trans or anything. Right. Um, he just, he said his divine feminine was calling him, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't right for the container that we created. Right. Um, so I wanted to maintain the container because it's it's important for women to come together. But Without a doubt. I, yeah, but I'm also seeing men coming together, which I think is so beautiful because, you know, it, it can be so healing. Yes. But then I also think, and hopefully we'll see more of this, you know, in the coming year or so, at least with this opportunity, you know, with uh, this Gemini energy um, is to... You know, it's good to come together in our our little groups where we feel safe. But when it gets too extreme where we feel like, okay, my little space is safe and out there isn't, you know, those people aren't safe. Then that's when we get into this, you know, the duality and the shadow of that. So um, these inclusive groups where we can come together with acceptance and not um, see each other as just, you know, these archetypal um, symbols, but, you know, as whole human beings, um, then I think that that can be really healing. And so your book is called Queer Cosmos, The Astrology of Queer Identities and Relationships. Um, I really urge anybody to, you know, after, if you've listened to this conversation today and you hear how insightful Colin is, um, to get this book, I have it on order. It should be arriving any day now. <laughs> I hadn't come in yet, but, um, I know, Mercury Retrograde. Um, I do want to offer my readers the first person to leave a review on the Radiant Astrology podcast on the Apple podcast app on this episode. You know, leave your review and your stars. Mention um, Colin and what you thought about this interview. And the first person to do that, I will send you a copy um, of Query Cosmos. Oh, that, that is my great. gift. <laughs> that would be awesome. See, and they say Capricorns are cold. Look at that generosity. <laughs> <laughs> Capricorns are practical. We like to do things that are good for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. You needed this book. There you go. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. So tell me, is there anything else that you would like to say um, before we wrap up? This has been such an enriching conversation. I have to say, um, even more so than I was expecting. I was expecting you to just come here and teach me about queer and then be on your way. But I feel like you've really opened something up and I feel so much more um, a, a possibility of understanding not only this sort of 
you know, what query it is, but how that is such a part of, you know, the human experience and, and myself even. Oh, that, that's, I'm so humbled to hear that. If, if I may, I would love to share, I can't believe I'm doing this Capricorn moon, a personal story about how this, these ideas are actually made manifest in my own life. Please. Yes. Yes. So a couple of years ago, I started working at a company that had uh, just the vast majority of heterosexual men, right? And by and large, I was the first gay man that many of them had direct exposure to, direct connection to. And that was a far cry from the art and design school that I went to in New York City, Parsons School of Design. There was maybe 15% men there. So I've been surrounded by and loved and enjoyed every second of it by other women. And so when I had to speak to straight men day in and day out, I was deeply, deeply nervous about that, right? Because it was heterosexual men who called me the F word, not women, Uh right? And Mm -hmm. so I had my armor up and I was ready to go in there and do what I usually do with straight men, which was make them feel insignificant by proving how much of an intellectual match I could be for them, right? Mm -hmm. And then because I was in the workbook of A Course in Miracles and it kept telling me to make proactive, generous assumptions about everybody, I started going into these workspaces with just the assumption that they are here to bless rather than blame me and that we could have a really wonderful relationship together. And wouldn't you know... We actually did. And then we started talking a little bit more deeply about emotionality and their struggles with vulnerability and how they're trying to be more expressive to women, but they don't know from where. And they felt comfortable talking to me because obviously as gay people, we're kind of in between the male, female, right? We're always holding both because we are both. And we had just wonderfully fulfilling conversations. And then what was amazing is that then I realized that my comfort level with other gay men decreased. My, excuse me, I should say my discomfort with gay men decreased because I was so comfortable with talking to straight men that when I spoke to other gay men, it was just, it's like I didn't bring the shadow and the trauma and the pain from what heterosexual men did to me to other gay men. Mm. And it's just like, it's amazing what happens when we go back to the source and when we just sort of proactively assume people are here to help us. And, you know, why would I selfishly think that they're here imagining my gayness as the primary focus of the day? They're not. They're just trying to get by just as much as I am. And then our friendships change and then their relationships change. And then my gay relationships did too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just... And it me- seems like it, it just activates and allows a whole other part of you to come alive. Yes, yes, yes. Because I think that gay men have a real responsibility to identify the fact that when we came out, it was straight women who came to our defense immediately. Mm -hmm. Mobilized, assembled, encircled, protected, right? And now straight women are looking to have more deep and intimate relationships with straight men. Gay men are listened to by straight men. Because there's still that element of just shared likeness and understanding because the armor goes up the minute women are around, right? Mm. Whereas gay men, they, they just don't feel that. And so I think gay men have a deep responsibility to turn back and acknowledge the contributions that straight women have provided to them by helping straight men love them more deeply because they loved us deeply when we needed it the most. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I mean... I remember working um, in certain places where I would have a work husband who would be like, you know, my gay best friend. (laughs) Right. And I mean, it didn't sound like enough to call him my best friend. I mean, he was my husband, like, you know, in sort of (laughs) another way. Yes. And, and it, you know, provides, and like with my own husband, um, you know, not the jealous type at all. He totally understands the nature of, you know, my relationships with my gay hubbies. Right. <laughs> and, and it just feels like a family, you know, all of us together. So it's wonderful to have those relationships. Without a doubt. And then you don't have to bring this bucket load of expectations and unmet emotional needs to your husband because everybody's getting it from each other. And isn't that beautiful? Mm. And that's what Esther Perel says, is that we ask one person to fulfill what an entire village of people used to historically provide. So let's bring the village back and our marriages will change. 
You know, it reminds me of, you know, some of those movies or TV shows or whatever from like the 50s or way back where, um, you know, because the gay men are usually the most, um, you know, the handsomest, (laughs) you know, men in the room. And, um, And way back before they were able to really be out, you know, a lot of women would think, you know, they wanted the man that was um, so kind and has great manners and and really handsome. Mm -hmm. And they would put all of this pressure, you know, and it's just so, I think it's the movie, A Single Man. I think that was the one, or it was, you know, movies like that. Um, The one that Tom Ford did, which is amazing. Yes. Yes. Um, And, um, but I mean, he had like the friend, but there were other examples where, you know, women would then, then they would wake up and they would realize, you know, their husband would leave them for a man and they would get, you know, and that would just be a horrible situation. But I think if you are, are tuned to the nature of your relationship, and like you said, if you're willing to have all these different kinds of relationships that right. can be deep and that can be intimate and that have, you know, have a variety of levels of, you know, sexuality, some of them not sexual, but still, you know, very deep and committed, then, um, then you're really, again, not putting these false expectations and false pressures on something, you know, to shape it into something that it's not. So that's amazing. Precisely, Christine. That's exactly it. Yep. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Colin. Again, um, I could talk to you forever, but I know you're a busy Capricorn moon and you've got like a million things on your plate. So I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come and chat with me today on the Radiant Astrology Podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? before? Well, we... just how grateful I am to have been listened to and interviewed by you. I could totally tell through the ethers that you were thoughtful and present and engaged with me. And thank you for showing up to the conversation as well. It was an honor to be here. Great. Thank you, Colin. And the book, again, is called Queer Cosmos, The Astrology of Queer Identities and Relationships. It's available now on Kindle and on paperback from Amazon.com. He's also online at QueerCosmos.com and on Instagram at QueerCosmos. And don't forget the first to leave a review on this episode. Mention Colin Bedell and how much you love this episode on the Apple podcast podcast app. Um, I will send you a copy of Queer Cosmos. So that's it for this episode. I want to thank my wonderful guest, Colin Bedell, once more. And I hope you join me again for the next Radiant Astrology podcast. Take care. Bye. Bye.